Good morning, welcome to Vineyard Church in Ghana. Uh, my name is Michelle, and if I haven't already met you, I lead the vineyard here with my husband Jason, and you've picked a good morning to be with us. Uh, we're just I'm just going to jump into the second week of our series, uh, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. And we just want to, in this series around mental health, we just want to lift the veil of stigma that surrounds mental health. Uh, in Northern Ireland and also to begin to um, dispel the shame that surrounds it for people that are suffering in battle often alone and of, often feeling very isolated in their illness and in any room according to a report on mental health in Northern Ireland there is likely to be one in five of us either battling with a mental health problem and I'm pretty sure if we currently ourselves are not battling with a mental health problem then you will know someone close to you, maybe within your family, um, among your close friends, someone you work with who is currently living with a mental health problem. It is said that we live in the age of anxiety and certainly statistics for Northern Ireland would prove that. Here in Northern Ireland, it's reported that we have a 25% higher prevalence rate of mental health problems than in England. And for those of you who are 40 or over, like myself, um, and I've lived through the times and the, yeah, the 30 years of violence that we lived through, then it's hardly surprising that mental health continues to be a huge problem that we face here. Another report reckons that by the year 2020, it's thought that mental health illnesses will be the second biggest disease in the West. That's all Western countries. Um, and in fact, um, as I was looking up some statistics this week, I see that the one in five that we experience here in Northern Ireland is the same rate of mental health illnesses that's experienced in America and in Canada and throughout the West. So by 2020, it's thought that the mental health illnesses were the second biggest in the West after coronary heart disease. See, we live in an age of anxiety. And yet we have full access to the eternal Prince of Peace who stays the same yesterday, today and forever. The truth is, God is not alarmed nor is he surprised by the times that we live in. And he has already supplied the solutions and antidotes to our current conundrum. So this week, what I want to jump into is the whole area of depression. Now the word depression is used in many different ways and everyone can feel sad or down from time to time. But most people manage to cope and can recover without any professional help. However, everyday blues or sadness is not depression in itself. We all know what it's like to feel sad sometimes, to just feel a bit sort of blue and a bit down. But depression is more than that. It's more than the odd day or the odd moment or the odd um, spell of depression of feeling low. Actually, to be clinically depressed and, and to, be, um, to be considered clinically depressed, you must be feeling down for longer periods of time, for at least two weeks. And it has to be disrupting the things of your life, maybe your relationships or your ability to carry out your work. And clinical depression is a common illness, but it's a serious one that people can recover from. And depression can occur at another time later on in your life, often in response to stressful events or situations. 
Now, there's lots of different types of depressions, but there's a number of common symptoms. And I, I just think it's really important today that, that I give you a list of these symptoms that attribute to depression. And my prayer and my hope is that as you listen to these, that if you recognise, you may recognise that you have depression or that you may be suffering from depression and um, or you may recognise some of these symptoms in someone else in your life. And the important thing is, is that you seek help. That is the most important thing that you can do. A person with clinical depression will have at least two of the following symptoms for at least two weeks before they will be diagnosed with clinical depression. An unusually sad mood that does not go away. Loss of enjoyment and interest in activities that used to be enjoyable. Tiredness and lack of energy. A person can also have other symptoms such as loss of confidence in themselves or poor self-esteem. Feeling guilty when they are not really at fault. Thoughts of self-harm or suicide. Difficulty making decisions and concentrating. Moving more slowly or becoming agitated and unable to settle. Having difficulty sleeping or sleeping too much. Unusual weight loss or unusual weight gain. Now here's the very, very important part of today's talk. If you suspect that you or anyone you know might be suffering from depression, then please, please seek professional help through your GP. That is the most important first step in your recovery. Yes, I absolutely believe in the supernatural power of prayer, but I equally believe in the natural power of doctors and medicine, and I believe that God uses them to bring healing and well-being to us. I believe he uses both. Please talk to someone close to you today and ask them to go with you to the doctors or ask them to make an appointment for you at the doctors. But hold, tell someone so that they can hold you accountable to making sure that you seek the help that you need. Or if it's someone in your life, then you, you, you encourage them and you urge them to go and see their doctor and get the help that they need and allow a, daughter, a doctor to give them a diagnosis of their illness. It's a doctor's job to diagnose and they, he or she can talk you through what your options are for recovery. I want to burst some myths around depression and mental health problems in general. Remember Elijah, who Jason talked about in detail last week? If you weren't here, then can I encourage you to read um, his story in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was a strong man. He was someone who um, was called by God and also obeyed God. He was not afraid to stand up to the prophets of Baal. And in fact... Elijah did something that I would really struggle to do um, and yet here is someone who came from this mountaintop experience literally where he took on these prophets and God showed up and I mean it was just this amazing supernatural miracle that happened and he went from there to this place of deep deep depression and actually of feeling suicidal. So the first thing I want to say, the first myth um that I want to bust around depression is depression is not a sign of personal weakness. It is definitely, definitely not a sign of personal weakness. Some of the strongest people I know suffer or have suffered from mental health illnesses, just like Elijah. People who are strong and who are capable and yet they've experienced deep, deep depression. The second thing, depression is not a sign of spiritual immaturity. 
Again, some of the most spiritually mature and strong in their faith people that I know have battled health problems, mental health problems. Elijah was full of faith, he had bold courage, and yet he sunk into a time of deep, deep depression. And I've known people to do the same. And it is no reflection on your faith in God. It is no reflection on how you live out your faith. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. That, that depression can come and hit any of us at any time. And the third thing is depression is not permanent. It can be lifted. It can be recovered from. It doesn't have to be a life sentence. It doesn't have to be something that you live under the rest of your life. Now I know it's incredibly difficult to break free from. It's incredibly difficult to recover from. But it is not impossible. And I think that for some of you today you need to hear that. That the, the battle that you're facing right now with depression and with mental health problems is not the final story. It's not the end of your story and that you can recover from it. Now how do I know these things to be myths and not the truth? Well, from a personal point of view, I have had three periods of depression and mental health problems in my life. Uh, the first was when I was 10 years old and I don't really know what happened at 10 but I had a, a, a breakdown I suppose it was described as then. I don't know what we described as now. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know why. But I do vividly remember what it felt like. And I remember um, the period of time that it took for me to recover. The second uh, time was I suffered from postnatal depression after our Matthew was born. Um, and that period of depression lasted for about two years. And the third time was last year when I suffered from anxiety and my depression. Now I don't want um, this to be all about me right now and, and I'm happy to talk to any of you personally one-to-one -one about, about my experiences if it would be helpful for you. Um, but I just wanted to share that today because I want you to see that, that someone can recover. I want you to see what it looks like for someone to be recovered. Because all three times I recovered. But all three times I also felt like somehow it was my fault. That it was caused by some weakness in me. Um, but as I recovered and through, really through the truth being spoken over me by my family, by close friends and by the precious Holy Spirit, I realised that depression is something that happened to me. It, it doesn't dictate who I am or what my future looks like. And it most certainly doesn't have to for you or someone else in your life who's battling depression just now. When we think of how people describe depression, it gives you a picture of what it's like to experience it. People talk about dark clouds descending. They talk about a dark tunnel trying and trying to find a light at the end of it. Some people describe a feeling of drowning, of mind fog, of being unable to clear their heads enough to think. They describe hopelessness. They describe despair. Now next week, Jason's going to give us some helpful ways to recover and help others recover from depression. This is just far too big a subject and a problem that we've said that we need to break it down over two weeks rather than, than just skim over all the details in, in one week. But there are some underlying causes that can cause depression and that's what I want us to look at just now and hopefully it'll help us understand it better. The first underlying cause is unfulfilled expectations. 
Perhaps life hasn't worked out for you like you thought it would. Maybe you thought that by the time you'll be 35, I'll have some financial security and that expectation hasn't quite come off. Life has not worked out exactly how you hoped. And the Bible talks about this in Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You see, there's a direct connection between hope and despair. Maybe you're hoping for a life partner, but you're still waiting and there's a shadow of disappointment growing in your heart and mind. Maybe you're hoping for that successful career and you've worked hard. You know, you did what they said at school. You got your qualifications. You know, you, you took the, the rubbish job at the bottom of the ladder so you could work your way up. And, and life just hasn't, still hasn't quite worked out how you hoped and dreamt it would be. You know, maybe, maybe you're in the middle of a stressful family, family situation and you keep hoping that relief's going to come. You keep hoping that somewhere along the line things are going to get better and you're going to get a break from it all. Hope deferred really does make the heart sick. In 1 Samuel 1, we find a, a woman called Hannah and she could totally identify with that. Every year, she and her husband... And his other wife and children would go to Shiloh to worship God. And the other wife would taunt and humiliate her because of her barrenness. Every month, Hannah longed and waited to be pregnant. Every month, her body betrayed her. And she'd be faced with the reality, yet again, that she hadn't conceived. Now, her husband, he loved her dearly. In fact, she was his favourite wife. I don't know how I feel about having a favourite wife. But anyway, this is in the scripture. It's a story of that time. And... um. He would ask Hannah, how are you? Why are you crying? Why won't you get up and eat? Why are you always so sad? What's going on with you? I don't fully understand. And maybe Hannah's husband's questions sound familiar to you. If you love someone with depression, it's difficult to understand. You know, you might ask questions too. Hannah was deeply sad and depressed. This was not how her life was supposed to be. She cries out to God and very soon her situation changes. Proverbs thirteen twelve says this, Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good break can turn life around. See, truth is, your depression is not your destiny. A sudden intervention by God into your situation can turn your life around just like he did for Hannah. It doesn't always have to be this way. You know, maybe the people around you don't understand, but God does. He knows your circumstances. He knows what you're dealing with, your heartaches, the questions of your soul, your doubts, your broken dreams. When expectations are unfulfilled, especially over an extended period of time, depression can close in. The second thing is unresolved anger. I don't know what happens in your world, but when I don't get what I want, I tend to get angry. Now, maybe that's just me, but um, I tend to see that in the people around me as well. Now, sometimes this anger can be directed at God. It can be directed at others and, and very often at the people closest to us. Or we internalize it. We turn it inwards to ourselves and sometimes it can manifest then as self-harm. Christian culture sometimes perpetuates this. It would have us believe that we shouldn't be angry, that anger is a bad thing. But really, anger is a part of being human. 
It's an emotion like happiness, joy or fear. And there are some things that we should be angry about. Paul says to the Ephesians, you do well to be angry. You see, there are some things in life that if we don't get angry about them, there's actually something wrong. Child abuse, poverty, misogyny, people dying from unpreventable diseases, the old and vulnerable being mistreated. See, sometimes anger is the appropriate response. Now, violence and aggression are never an appropriate action to come from anger. But sometimes we should feel angry. And we take the second half of Ephesians 4 out of context. And we think that we should bury our anger. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Whenever um, Jason and I were first married, um, which is almost 21 years ago, we've been married almost 21 years now, um, I took this verse to mean like it was the law. It was like a law in my life. You know, you couldn't go to bed in your anger. You couldn't let the sun go down in your anger. It was the most awful thing. And... And really it was more to do with how we communicated with each other. And I just like to get the thing dealt with. I hate having things undealt with. I hate um, unresolved things. And very often Jason would say to me, look, Michelle, honestly, the best thing you can do right now is just let me go to sleep and we'll deal with this in the morning. And I'd be quoting this first. I'm going, no, 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 you can't do that. This We need to deal with this right now. We need to get this sorted. And actually, he's a wise man. Sometimes, a lot of the time. And I give him this one. This does not mean that you don't physically, um, you know, don't go to bed and angry and, and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't leave things to the next day. What it means is that you shouldn't leave things unresolved. And there's a big difference. Sometimes it's actually better to let the dust settle, let the steam come out of the argument, let the, the tempers settle and then resolve whatever the problem is. Often that's a better way of dealing with it, but what this verse is saying is deal with it. See, a build-up of unresolved anger or unresolved anger that has been festering over a long period of time can lead to depression. There was this man in the Bible who, who was chosen by God and um, God chose him to, uh, to do a particular assignment. But this man was already angry with God and annoyed with God. But he, he hid it behind this religious veneer and he, he didn't feel that he should show that he was angry. So God gave him an assignment and instead he just ran away. He just went to the complete opposite direction as to where God was sending him to and asking him to go. But he was still angry with God. And eventually he came back. And mind you, he came back via the belly of a whale. Um, so it was Jonah that I'm talking about. And eventually he did what God had originally asked him to do. And when he went there, um, the people of Nineveh were saved and rescued because they repented and realised the error of their ways and um, did what God asked them to do. And this just made Jonah even more angry. It doesn't figure with me. So anyway, Jonah went off outside the town and he huffed and he went and he he sat down and, he, and God um, made this plant to grow that would cover Jonah and give him shade. And Jonah was happy with that, but he sat under this, this plant and he moaned and he groaned and he was angry and he wanted to die. 
And then a worm came. God sent a worm and the worm came and it ate the plant and the plant died. So John and I sat in the heat of the day and he became more and more angry and more and more annoyed. But it was actually the plant that was the last straw. And he started shouting at God and saying, look what you did to my plant. And God said to him, your plant? Did you plant this plant? Did you make it appear to cover you from the heat of the day? And Jonah went off in this rant at God and he was angry. But actually the anger didn't begin with the plant. The anger started a long, long, long time before. You see, sometimes it's the overreactions. It's the telltale, telltale signs. It's the small things that set you off. You see, in my house, it's 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 not the big things that set me off. I, I, I tend to be a bit like Jonah. I like, I like to keep my anger hidden on the inside. And it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up to someone smashes a jar of honey or something equally sticky all over my kitchen floor and then I just lose it. It's not really about the honey. It can be cleaned up. It's a mess. But it's all the other things that have built up and built up and built up. And there's a vicious cycle with depression and anger. Unresolved anger can lead to depression and depression can cause anger. And um, doctors will tell, will tell you that for men in particular, and I'm not being in any way sexist at all, but there's just this is a medical fact that for men, often um, unresolved anger in their lives and depression go hand in hand. Because it's not okay to be angry in our culture, and our world. And you know, maybe... Maybe you blame your boss for creating a toxic environment that you have to work in. Maybe you blame your partner for not being as supportive as they should have been to you. Maybe you blame your upbringing. Maybe you blame your family for not adequately preparing you for this life that you're now in. You know, or maybe you blame yourself for the poor choices you've made in your life. You know, and this tape in your head keeps saying, well, you've made your bed now, you're going to have to lie on it. And there's this refrain of it's God's fault, it's their fault, it's my fault. And anger is dispersed all over the blame game. Stop playing it. Stop playing the blame game. See, people who keep anger at the centre of their lives become bitter and resentful. Don't become one of them. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. It means process the anger, resolve it and don't bury it. Number three is unprocessed pain. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. We all know people who on the outside are happy, but on the inside there's pain. You know, and I think sometimes women, we're so good at this. If we put on our makeup, we put on our best face, and we face the world anyway. And there's almost like a badge of honour that goes with that. There's almost like it becomes this professional thing of, well, it's okay on the outside, so, if, you know, the show must go on. You just need to get out there and you need to, you know, put your best foot forward and let's just pretend everything's fine. When on the inside, you are crumbling. You know, we talk about it. Put on your brave face. Putting on a brave face. And I googled that. And um, I googled smiling through pain and there was hundreds of quotes and references that come up. You should try that, do you see? So here's the thing. Whatever you bury alive in your life comes back. When you're in the middle of pain and grief, often people say time is a great healer. 
but I know people and I'm pretty sure you probably do too that even years later after they've experienced pain they are still immersed in the pain nothing has really changed they've just lived with the pain for longer you see until we learn to process our pain our pain will sabotage our hope it takes courage and strength but let me implore you just now process and deal with your pain you know maybe it's a long time since you've experienced intimacy in your life after coming through a season of grief or you've been through a divorce you've survived abuse or a season of addiction in your life and you've tried to medicate the pain but it just keeps coming back and every time you think you've buried it down deep enough it comes worming its way back up again and every time it becomes more and more difficult to push down and every time you push it further and further and further down it's like a jack-in-the-box or one of those creepy snake things that you put inside a, a can it just comes popping back up again our text for the series is Psalm 40 verse 1 to 3 say this I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry he lifted me out of the miry, the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. He lifts us out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And the mire is that sediment that lies at the bottom. It's the stuff that actually lies hidden for most of the time. And it represents the stuff in our life like that, that lies at the bottom that we're afraid to look at. If you ever go fishing, sometimes I go fishing with Matthew or Jason and um, and you can see, the only time you see the mire, the stuff that lies at the bottom of, of the river is when a fish comes along and, and sort of goes through it and you can see this cloud of mire, this cloud of dirt that rises up in the clear water. And you see what happens to that mire and that pain in our life is that we have to tiptoe so gently through life because we don't want to disturb it. We don't want to disturb it up. We don't want that cloud to appear in our life. We don't want it to come up to the surface so other people can see the pain that's still there and going on. And we don't want to look at it ourselves so we spend our life tiptoeing, like walking on eggshells, trying to avoid it, trying to hope that there won't be something will happen that's going to cause us to, cause it to stir up and for it to be visible again and for us to have to deal with it. But the problem is, the problem is that that other people don't know what's there and they just walk right over the top of it. And the next thing it's out in the open for everyone to see. Don't bury your pain. Don't bury your pain. Work through it process it because if you don't it can lead to depression and the final one number four is unconfessed sin now the myth is that depression is a result of spiritual maturity or failure and I, i'm saying earlier and i say it again that is not true but there is a spiritual consequence to living in a way that is contrary to your conscience that causes an emotional impact that can lead to depression See, if you violate your values over and over, if you commit deliberate acts of disobedience, 
it causes a schism in your soul that you can do life with, but it also can cause you to spiral into depression. There's actually a medical term for this. It's when we when we go against our values, when we go against how we feel that we should be living our life. And you see this time and time again. You see it whenever people who are maybe um, secretly um, doing something that they know is wrong, maybe stealing from their employer and they're taking the money over a period of time. And at the same time, the people in their life around them start to notice um, something's not quite right because maybe they're they're becoming physically ill or they're just becoming more and more and more stressed. And it's because that there's this in, inward um, tussle that's going on, this inward fight between what they know is right and how they're acting. You see, the Lord, the medical term for this and what doctors will talk about, they'll talk about guilt. And sometimes we just see guilt as a spiritual word or a spiritual thing, but it's actually a medical term. And the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience that we cannot hide from. Proverbs 20, 27 to 29 says that the Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. See, we cannot hide from our own minds and conscience. But how often do we try to rationalise, bury or deny our guilt? Now, experts say that 70% of people in hospitals could go home today if they dealt with their guilt. That's a huge number of people. And even if half of that was true, 35% of people who could go home if they dealt with their guilt, but experts say that 70% of people in hospitals are, are there because they are dealing with guilt. And if they could just, they're not dealing with their guilt, and if they could just deal with it, they could go home. See, unconfessed sin will damage your confidence and damage your relationships and will lead you into depression. Look at King David. Psalm 32, 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Right now, wherever you are, you can experience the same thing. Today, this morning, your guilt can go. You don't have to carry out these doors this morning, the guilt you carried in. You don't say to yourself, I don't deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to be punished. Yeah, well, actually, we all deserve to be punished. But it was Jesus who took our punishment on the cross. And we don't deserve to be given, be forgiven, but only because of Jesus can we be fully and truly forgiven. See, he took the blows for you so you don't have to. He died so you can live. For eternity, yes, but... Also for the here and now, Jesus died so that you could be fully alive here and now, free from the guilt that is weighing you down and pulling you down into depression. So right now, can I ask you to close your eyes, just for the dignity of the people around you? I want to give you a moment to confess your sin to God. Maybe for the very first time, I want you to confess your sin to God and feel the guilt fall off. Confess your sin. Receive his forgiveness. And experience your guilt gone. Just take a moment. Yeah, there's some of you that have been walking around this week. 
really boring down and feeling the weight of your guilt and it's like every day it's getting heavier and heavier and right now in this moment there's an opportunity to be free of it not just for a moment but for eternity see there is hope for you and those of you those you love who are battling with depression it doesn't have to be a life sentence. Recovery is not only possible, but it is available. And just now, I'm going to invite the band and the prayer team to come forward. And as Andy sings over us, I'd love you to begin to come forward if any of this applies for you today. If right now you're battling with depression, then come. If you love someone who's battling with depression, then come and stand and get prayer for them. If you have unfulfilled expectations in your life and you're battling with them, come, get prayer, break free. If you have unresolved anger, come. If you have unprocessed pain, why don't you come and let Jesus lift you out of the miry clay once and for all. Let him reach down and rescue you. You see, there's a place for you here. Here at the vineyard, we, we talk about putting your worst foot forward. We talk about come as you are. It's our desire that, that this place would not be a place that you feel that you have to put your brave face on to come to but you come as you are, broken, weary, anxious, happy, joyful, confident, however you are. But if you're struggling or you know people who are struggling, then this is a place for you too. And there's a family here to stand with you and hold you up in your darkest days. And I know this is true because that's exactly what this church family has done for me. Father God, would you come? Father, would you lead people to a place of recovery? God, I pray that today would be the beginning of recovery from depression. The Father, people here are listening to this online, driving in their cars, at home, wherever they are, God, that they would experience a light, that your light would begin to shine through the fog and the darkness. Lord, that they would feel your hand reach down and pull them out of that place of darkness and despair. Yeah. God, would you give them the strength to go to their doctor? Or would you begin to bring recovery and healing to their minds? God, I thank you that depression is not a life sentence. Yeah. Would you bring them through? God, I thank you for bringing me through and I thank you for all the other people in my life 
that I have watched you bring through depression and other mental health problems. God, you are bigger. Thank you, Father. Amen.